Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. <laughs> Cody B. Hello, hello, hey, tell me if you hear me Weed so loud, yeah, this shit will make your ears bleed No piercing, sincerely, please do not come near me I'm rolling like a wheel, will somebody come and steer me? Cruising to my music, acting stupid Hello, 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 can you hear me? What's good, minor fans? SB Nation, minor rush, the podcast on the air, what's going on? This is your managing editor, Alex Nicholas, coming at y'all live from my crib. I'm coming to y'all solo today. Anthony Stallone couldn't meet me, uh, couldn't come through, but he's going to join me here on the phone chain a little bit uh, once he gets settled in. But what's going on, y'all? Busy week last week. Man, what a busy week over at the Rush, if y'all were following along. Uh, obviously, game week was the number one priority coming in, and then Bob Stoll retiring. Uh, was the biggest news that probably has popped off in a long, long time in UTEP Athletics, and that was kind of the big story last week, Bob Stoll's retirement. So we're going to jump into that. We're also going to look at a little UTEP football as the Miners took one on the chin last week, to say the least, against Oklahoma, 56-7. to Miners moving on to conference play this week against Rice at home. We'll break down that game. We'll break down the Oklahoma game. We'll break down the Rice game. Also got some Twitter questions that y'all been hitting me up with. Definitely take a look at that. But let's start right at the top. The head man, after 18 years, 18 long years, Bob Stoll finally calls it quits. Calls it quits. It was very interesting how this kind of came about. Uh, This is a story personally that I've been following probably for about the the last 10 months. Um, Once I figured out that this this year, August 31st, would be the last year of Bob Stoll's two-year deals, two-year increment deals is what he's been doing the past couple of years. So I was really intrigued to, to see this kind of unfold as quickly or as, as long as it did, however you want to pull that off. I really thought that this would be an announcement we would have heard during May, right after basketball season, going back to March, hell, even back to last December. Um, you know, obviously the timing, it wasn't right or it wasn't perfect in terms of two days before your football season opener, but this seems like you know, hearing Bob Stoll's reaction and hearing the interviews that he's done, this is something that he's been deciding, you know, mulling over daily with him and his wife over the past couple of years, and he finally made it official last Thursday on the 31st. Um, you know, lots of mixed emotions about this, you know, and it's kind of kind of interesting on where you start. I mean, you, you, can, you can obviously start in the recent times. I mean, the last decade, seven to ten years span hasn't been rosy in terms of your big money sports. You know, basketball, football, only one NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, we know the expectations in UTEP football, but the expectations were so high when Mike Price was here. And from 2007 until current day, I mean, there just hasn't been a revival. Yeah, UTEP went to a bowl in 2010. They went to a bowl in Sean Cougar's second year. But it just you haven't seen that success, that lightning in the bottle, that bang, hit you in the face type of success when, when Stoll hired Mike Price. So if you look at, at what's been going on 
over the past 10 years, obviously it's a lot of negativity. There hasn't been wins. There's, there hasn't been those big wins. You haven't seen that many conference championships in, in your big money sports, not taking away anything that track and field has done, not anything that women's basketball has done. Those have been successful under Bob Stoll. But the big picture, the, the two sports that people quote-unquote care about, they've struggled under Bob Stoll's watch. Call it complacency with the head coaches. Call it complacency with the current situation of, the, of Conference USA whatever that may be, that's going to overshadow what Bob Stoll really did in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that is simply modernized UTEP athletics. You're talking about the Larry Durham Center. Uh, you know, you're talking about the Foster Stevens Center, one of the best mid-major basketball practice facilities, hands down, and what they have there. Going a little bit further to when UTEP softball was created and now Helena Troy Complex, which is beautiful, another beautiful complex. She's done a lot of different things that, that obviously are in the big picture are going to get overshadowed because of the last 10 years. But you got to give this man some type of respect, uh, you know, for what he's done, what he was able to do for UTEP, the fundraising that he was able to do, the donors that he was able to, 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 to grab and kind of lock hold to, to lock down these buildings, to lock down these facilities. And, you know, it's easy to, to say, you know, from an outsider or from somebody that, that's been inside the program and say, oh, UTEP has the top football facility in Conference USA. I mean, there's no doubt about it that it is. I mean, you look at, at what the facility was before UTEP or Bob Stoll put that in, looking at the late 90s when you can pretty much sit anywhere you wanted. And then the highlight for me was the pickup football games that we would have on the Sunbolt turf. And not so much the 49-7 to game where watching John Rayburn throw three or four picks or whoever was the quarterback during that 90s era. But Bob Stoll raised that profile in terms of facilities, in terms of, of, of these donors that were able to put their – not only put their names on this building, but to give UTEP these top-flight facilities to attract a head coach like Mike, uh, like Mike Price to come in, to attract, you know, a, a guy like, like Tim, Tim Floyd to come in in 2010 when, when Floyd was, was hired. So, you know, after all that, you look at, at, at what he's done before the past 10 years, that just gets overshadowed, you know, by UTEP's inability to kind of get over that hump in both football and basketball, the two money sports, the two sports people really care about. Like I said, that's not taking anything away from the track athletes. That's not taking anything away from women's basketball and all the other sports that have had success, even, you know, UTEP women's soccer. But, you know, just the past 10 years are going to definitely overshadow the whole scale of work which Bob Stoll has done, and which I think is pretty respectable. And you can even go in back to the late 1980, you know, 88, and I wasn't even born yet, but the UTEP football revival when UTEP went to that bowl game. Uh, you know, you look at, at some of the head coaches or some of the – not the head – well, they're not head coaches now, but some of the coaches that came out of that tree, your Dirk Cotters, your Andy Reeds. You know, Dirk Cotter was in, uh, in, in hard knocks recently, you know, and you see a UTEP helmet, in, you know, in the background. Andy Reed obviously has a, has a big UTEP uh, background. You know, Ken Flagel's another guy that I heard Bob Stoll bring up when I was eating lunch with Bob Stoll earlier this week. So there's a lot of different things that you can look at as positive in terms of Bob Stoll. You know, UTEP didn't win numerous conference championships. UTEP didn't breed those All-American people, All-American type guys that, that just came and flowing through here. But what Bob Stoll did was he did raise that that profile of UTEP that was in the late ni late 90s, which was crap. I mean, basically put it that way, you know, was crap. And he was able to, to raise that profile. And that goes back to, you know, just giving the guys some sort of respect. And I'm going to bring in my man here, Anthony Salome, on the line. So, Anthony, what's good, bro? Rutgers! Rutgers football! 
Rutgers football. Oh, we got a troll. We got a fucking <laughs> troll. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, the Rush Podcast Solo Edition. How's it going, man? Uh, it's rough right now. I'm trying to get through it. I'm glad you saved my ass here for a little bit on this Bob Stoltzak because, I mean, this is clearly the one of the biggest stories, like I mentioned when I opened this thing, probably one of the biggest stories that's hit minor rush since I've been around. Obviously, you've been around a little longer, but, I mean, just give me your thoughts on, on kind of, you know, I don't want to – not maybe not so much the timing, but just what are your thoughts on, on Bob Stoll leaving and, you know, maybe some thoughts on kind of the legacy that he left here, as you said. You know – Bob Stoll, he's done a lot of good. He's done a lot of good for this for this university. Um, when you talk about infrastructure and all the things that happened under him, you talk about the Durham Center and um, the practice facilities that went up, the ticket center, the softball complex, uh, you know, on and on and on. He, he did a lot for this university athletics-wise and infrastructure-wise. Um, as far as, you know, some of the coaching hires that he made, you know, he brought back Tim Floyd, which – it hasn't necessarily panned out, but everybody really thought that that was a solid hire when, when he made it. I mean, there was no question about it, you mm-hmm. know, with his history, with, with his ties to the program, the son of the program, you know, even talking about Sean Kugler. I mean, the guy got Mike Price here. Granted, Mike Price was, you know, on the rebound, if you will, but still, I mean, he's, he's made, he made some solid hires in his time here. You talk about Keith Adams, you know, in women's basketball, probably the best coach that the women's basketball team's ever had or may have for a while, who knows? Um, but he made some solid hires. He did great as far as buildings and infrastructure goes. Um, but, you know, my only thing with Bob Stoll is, is I think he held on a little bit too long. You know, he, he really wanted to ride off into the sunset. He, he wanted to wait for that big year in football, that big year in basketball where he could say, okay, like my job here is done. And in the end that never came. And, and his, his, you know, he doesn't go away with a, a tarnished record because he still did everything for this university that you can't take away and even more as a coach. But, you know, he, he could have gone out on top and he kind of went down, you know, he kind of went out halfway down the hill already. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the guy did yeah. great things. You know, he's a great athletic director for the program. Um, you know, moving forward, we'll just see who replaces him. We need we need some young blood in there, somebody who's willing to make changes, who's not afraid to make changes and We'll see how that goes. And that that was kind of exactly what I was saying, that, you know, the last 10 years are obviously a quote-unquote cloud. You know, call it complacency, call it, you know, bad luck or whatever it may be, conference realignment, passing them up. I mean, I I don't think that Bob Stoll's legacy should be overshadowed over the past 10 years because let's just be honest, they've been bad. You're talking about attendance dwindling. You're talking about football you know, really struggling to keep their head above water and really struggling to, to kind of now in, in the recent keeping up with these upstart programs, your Old Dominion, your UTSA. But I mean, in the end, what do you think Bob Stoll's legacy is at UTEP? Is he, can he be considered a legend or are the past 10 years that drastic of lack of success for a lack of a better term where, you know, we can't really put him on that pedestal yet? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that UCEP's ever had a legend aside from Don Haskins, you know, and when you set the bar so high as Haskins did as a coach, obviously, uh, winning a national championship and having the success that he did in the 90s, the 80s, you know, it's hard to put anybody else as a UCEP legend, you know, so is is Bob Stoll a legend? I don't, I don't think I can qualify him for that type of title yet. Now, maybe we look back in 10 years and we're having trouble even more than we are today and 
you know, things aren't panning out with the new athletic director and whatever it might be. Um, and then maybe we can look back and say, wow, we, we really had it good. But at this exact moment, he's done some great things for the university, but can I call him a UTEP legend? I probably would stop short of calling him that. No doubt about that. And so now moving on, I mean, this is an, you know, this is an extremely, extremely, I can't stress how important this next hire is going to be to replace Bob Stoll. I mean, there is so much on the line. You can start at however you want to describe what this new person needs to be. From what I've heard from some, I don't know if I'm breaking news here, but I've heard from a couple of people that the number one qualification is going to be a fundraiser. It's not so much experience. It's not so much, you know, having ties, college football ties, college basketball times. It's a fundraiser. Looking at the shortlist that I made, the number one person that jumps out to me is Dr. Brian Winstrom. Just yep. sign, I don't know if he officially signed his contract yet with Incarnate Word, but when, when people tell me that, I automatically think of this guy. And it, it, you, it, it's so important, this hire. What would you think about a fundraiser with Brian Winstrom, who was given the short end of the stick at ULM now that I've read up on it? And, you know, what can what can a hire like this, uh, Brian Wickstrom, and like I said, it's not official. We haven't heard any names. But, you know, when you look at, at what UTEP's looking at or what the administration's looking at, Brian Wickstrom stands out as as that type of fundraiser. I mean, how, how would that hire kind of sit with you for a guy that's had that relative success, kind of got shafted at ULM, and is now, you know, looking to come back to El Paso to – or I'm not sure if he's interested or what the situation is, but what, what your thoughts would be on a guy like Wickstrom taking over for Stoll? Well, there's no, there's no question that, that we need somebody that can come in and fundraise because that's one of the areas, and we've talked about it plenty of times on the podcast, is that, the, that UTEP Athletics has struggled to find a way to reach out to, you know, your average fan, your casual fan. You know, when they're winning, it's all good, and you'll find people that will fill the stadium. But aside from that, you're struggling to fill seats. You know, you've got your diehards, and that's about it at this point in football, and it's starting to become that way in basketball as well. Or if it's, you know, it's already mm-hmm. there, whatever you hear it. So, you know, they definitely need somebody that can fundraise, that can raise money, but that can think outside the box when it comes to marketing to get people in the seats to be able to to make money for this program. But, you know, here's an interesting thing. You talk about, about uh, you know, Wickstrom from from uh, uh, Incarnate Word. The, the the athletics department at UTEP or the university as a whole has never really been a university that's willing to spend on personnel. You know, we've seen that over and mm-hmm. over where they've given guys like Tim Floyd and and uh, you know I don't even know what Bob Saul's contract was like, but I'm sure it was only a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, for an, an mm-hmm. eight, for an yeah. AD at a Division One program, that is not a lot of money. You know. They're, they're going to have to stretch that budget. They're going to have to be willing to pay more. And on top of that, you, you know, something that's coming into play that was brought to my attention with, um, with, uh, with uh, Jeremiah Dickey from uh, Baylor is his buyout over there. And, yeah. and we, you know, that's something that has not even been addressed with who UTEP can actually afford or is willing to afford, you know, because wherever they go, you know, you have to start thinking about, okay, well, if Dr. Wickstrom is, is, is signing his new contract, you know, what is that buyout going to be like? Is that, and then I would just assume that in incarnate word, it's not that large, but you never know. I mean, it, it may be a couple of years worth of his salary. And, and is that a million dollars? I don't know what that number is, but it may be a fairly large number for a school like UTEP. And when you talk about uh, Dickey over at Baylor, you know, is that number 
a couple million dollars, uh, you know, from what I understand, it's a fairly large buyout. I mean, and, you know, the, the university is not just going to let him go for, you know, pennies on the dollar. So they're going to have to work out that buyout. And that's just something else that's going to throw, you know, something into the, in, uh, you know, wrench into the system there that you got to figure out that they're going to have to figure out. And it, it's time, you know, it, we've talked about the benefits of bringing in people and paying for personnel. And, you know, we've talked about it from a different standpoint with coaching and just seeing what a, a big name coach might do for the university and how they would generate revenues and ticket sales and whatnot. Um, and, and it's time, you know, if UTEP wants to go anywhere as an athletics program, this is a big, big hire. This is, this is, you know, a time where they, you know, football's on the way down. I don't know, you know, we, we like Sean Cooler. We like what he's trying to do, but it's not really working out at this point. You know, what more can we say that we haven't already said about Tim Floyd? Uh, you know, Keitha Adams is out, you know, the softball program isn't doing well. I mean, really, we, we don't have a whole lot to, to go on right now. And so this is a huge Track hire. Pool. And it's it track, you know, track and field. That's where it's at, cross country. But this is a big hire for UTEP as an athletics department. As an, as as you know, are they going to step up, pay some money for you know the right guy, a, a young person that that is willing to come in here and just you know gunsling and make changes and and get things going in the right direction that can get us to that next level that we've been struggling to get to for decades now. When it, when we talk about trying to move over to like the Mountain West, we're we're at at probably where we were in 1998, if we really want to be honest, as far as what UTEP athletics looks like to other conferences, there is nothing there. And so this is just, a, it's a big hire, you know, it, it's a decision that, that Dr. Natalicio and whoever else is up there making the, you know, the, you know, calling the shots, they, they really have to think about this one. And I think it's time they pull out those pocketbooks, write those checks and, and get, get the right person in here. Cause it, it's, it's a big time hire. Totally agree. Anthony Salau joining me here. My podcast host joined me from afar, but I mean, it's just, I it just can't stress how important this hire is. And you brought up a good point with, with Wickstrom. And as of last week, you know, Wickstrom's buyout, that is, as of last week, he hadn't signed his contract. So that was one of my questions about Wickstrom particularly. And so that's going to be definitely something that, that's going to be interesting to monitor. Um, you know, this is just, we just can't stress enough. I mean, how important this is going to be, not only for the now with a guy like Sean Cougar, who is, you know, you can say he's on the hot seat. With Tim Ford, you can say he's on the hot seat with those decisions. But as just like Anthony mentioned, as, as overall as an athletic department, just so many overhauls, so many changes, so many things need to happen, not just who's going to be the football coach, who's going to get recruited, who's going to win on the basketball floor. So, so many questions to think about. And, Anthony, while I got you on here, you know I can keep you on here all night, all day, but let me just get some quick thoughts <laughs> of last week. I wish I could stay on here all night, but I got a wife that's eight, eight months pregnant, and as you know, priorities call, you know, priorities come first. So Got you. Got you. But just give me your quick thoughts on, on uh, what you watched, what you saw, what you heard. Uh, about that Oklahoma game last week, and kind of you can end that out with just some thoughts about going into Rice this weekend. I, I mean, it's it's pretty much what we expected. You know, it's it's what we expected yeah. to see. We talked about it last week or two weeks ago on the podcast. We talked about are they going to be willing to throw the ball more? Are they going to be you know ready to change it up? We we saw um, Walter Don do a couple, you know, have a couple nice runs and. Um, that was that was good, but did you really see a replacement for Aaron Jones? I, I don't think so. Now, obviously, you're playing a great defense in Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma may end up being one of the best teams in the country. They they are a very good team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it, it's hard to, to gauge exactly what we've got, but I think it, what we saw was exactly what we expected. We expected them to go in there, play it safe, hand the ball, be very conservative, uh, you know, it, just basically the, the same old vanilla offense that we're used to seeing and, and, you know, try to just get out of there without any major injuries. You know, the one thing that, that was tough is uh, losing Alvin Jones. I'll say that much. I mean, that's one thing yeah. you, know, you talked about. You, you don't want to see injuries. Uh, we didn't see an injury with him, but, you know, you have that targeting call, which I thought was a fairly soft call, but at the same time, that's that's the way they're calling it in, in college football today, which is, you know, in my opinion, that rule's got to change somehow. But either way, I mean, he's gone for the first half, so that's a big loss when you talk about coming into a game like Rice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as what we actually saw from them, you know, we, we, it was nice to see them competitive for a few possessions there in the first quarter. Um, but in the end, I mean, I think it was exactly what we expected. You know, they were just going to keep it conservative, try to go in there, stay healthy, uh, get out of there alive. didn't really matter what the final score was. Um, you know, you would hope to have seen a little more that would, that would say, you know, these are the guys that are going to be our playmakers going forward. I'm not sure we saw too much of that. You know, um, Ryan Metz was, you know, struggling a little bit. But overall, again, we saw exactly what we expected. And I think this, today, uh, this week, with Rice, you know, this is going to be the true tell of what this football team has. But, you know, we talked about it. New Mexico State looked better than we expected against Arizona State. Mm-hmm. And if they are better than we expected, this is going to be a very tough opening stretch for the Miners. No doubt about it. My man, Anthony Salone, joining me here on the Rush Podcast. Anthony, appreciate your time, partner. If you get bored hey, or something hey, in the next 30 minutes, hit, hit me back. I may, <laughs> if I get bored, I may call in to be a little troll, calling to talk about some New Mexico State football or something. Oh, you're an Aggie fan now, aren't you? You're <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you, partner. Have a good one. That's my man, Anthony Salome, joining us on the list. Shit, when it comes to the administrative part. Definitely better than I do, than I could spit it. But uh, keeping on kind of to, and to wrap up this athletic director talk, I got a question here from Lucet Minor earlier on Twitter as I could pull this up since I'm running things solo. He asked me, what would be my top three for AD wish list? Um, and he asked me a really good question, too, that I want to get into. Uh, honestly, from, from – if you guys saw what I wrote last week about the short list of possible candidates, you know, these, I think, are the people that UTEP is going to reach out to first. I think if they go with the national committee, which is definitely expected, you're going to have a shitload of, of candidates, probably 150 to 200. And that's you're going to have, you know, some really talented people to choose from. But right now, my number one, and I may be biased because she's a Latina, because she has UTEP ties, but I would go with Lisa Campos. Uh, from Northern Arizona. She's a vice president right now for intercollege, intercollegiate athletics. Um, you know, I'm all the way in on, on Lisa Campos and what she could bring. First of all, I mean, a female Latina in an El Paso community, I think that would, that would be very receptive. I think she can reach out to different types of fan bases, different types of families, have kind of a different approach than what we've been seeing over the past couple of years in terms of Bob Stoll and the quote-unquote good on boys. I'm not trying to get into race too much at all, if at all, but I'm just saying I think this could be a total 360-degree shakeup with a female empowered like Lisa Campos, and she would have my number one vote right now um, just because I I really think that this, in my opinion, this athletic department needs a total shakeup, and why not go 
with a woman that, that, that's been around college athletics that was here and fundraised for the Helen of Troy complex back in 06. So this is somebody that knows the lay of the land, has gotten her feet wet in other places, has worked under Bob Stone. I think that's going to be a big, big plus to grab her, you know, to kind of keep her away from going anywhere else at this point. You know, she could be a pretty hot commodity in the next couple of years because of the work that she's put in. Uh, my number two would definitely be Jeremiah Dickey. Um, you know, this is a guy that that's he's from El Paso. He worked Bob's he worked under Bob Stowe, helped develop the minor athletic club. He's gonna be a finalist that you're gonna hear. I I, I mean I don't know right now as of right now I haven't heard any names, I haven't heard anything under the radar other than like I mentioned with Anthony is that they are looking for a fundraiser and Jeremiah falls right into that. This would be a solid hire. You know, a guy that's worked under Mac Rhodes while Mac Rhodes is at Houston, now Mac Rhodes is at Baylor. So this is a guy that's seen that outside of box. He's seen group of five football success and, and this is why I would lean to these next two and Brian Wickstrom's on number three. We touched on Wickstrom, but you know, for sure Dickie and Wickstrom would shake up the football program. And I think that needs to be, that needs to happen. If Sean Cooler is unable to, to get the tide right this season, you know, Sean's done some great things football off the field wise in terms of academics, the APR um, balancing scholarships out, you know, getting guys in here, getting commits when, when it looks like at times nobody wants to commit to UTEP, but there has to be some type of shakeup if this thing doesn't get turned around under under Sean Cooper. And I think the the football ties that Dickey and the football ties that Wickstrom have would probably push them over of where I think about Lisa Campos. Those would probably be two important things in terms of their football connections. And not only that, but, I mean, the, the fact that these two guys have fundraised at bigger universities, you're looking at a, a University of Houston, University of Baylor, you know, these are two guys that have kind of been in that mix. They rub shoulders with millionaires in both of those areas, alums and whatnot. So right now those three guys would definitely – or those three people, two guys and one woman would definitely be uh, my pick if I had to power rank them right now. But that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out in terms of who, who the legitimate candidates are. There's so many names that are probably going to be thrown out here in the next couple of months. And it doesn't seem like UTEP is in that much of a hurry as Bob Stoll's going to be sticking around here for a couple of, uh, you know, months or however long it's going to take UTEP to go ahead and, and go through with that hire. And I take a swig of water here. So and the, and the big question that UTEP, UTEP throws at me, shout out to UTEP Minor at UTEP Minor on Twitter, talking about the second part of this question. If so, Whoever it, whoever it may be, which coach is the first to go? And I think it's really going to hinge on this football season. I would put Sean Cougar kind of in that hot, hotter seat over Tim Floyd. Um, you know, for one, Tim, you know, has some returning pieces coming out. His season doesn't start till November. I would think that this hire would be finalized before November, which leaves you one more month of football season left for this new AD to come in and evaluate. And I think with the way that football attendance has been going, the way that football revenue has been dropping, I think you're going to look th – that football program is going to get, you know, looked down inside and out. And as far as structure, as far as administrative stuff, there's nothing wrong with the UTEP football program. And it is in great hands under Sean Cougar, like we've mentioned plenty of times on this podcast. But the question is going to be wins, losses, excitement, fans in the seats. That is going to be something I think that this new AD, whoever it may be, is going to have to come in here and really evaluate. And that has been Sean Cooper's downfall, the excitement. There really hasn't been excitement other than alums and people that, that have known Sean, that know the program, have been around. You're not grabbing that new family that Mike Price was able to grab in 05 and 06, that exciting 
type of brand where you're getting that family of four or five to come out there and boom, you got 40 G's and in, in the sum, you got 40 fans in there. That's, that's what I think is going to have to happen. That's what's going to get evaluated when you're looking at the football program. So I think, honestly, going back to Lutep's question of which coach would be the first to go or which coach would be on the hot seat with the new AD, I think Sean Cougar would move straight to that list, straight to the top of that list over Tim Floyd. So it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks or a couple of months, however long this is going to take. But one thing, the only thing that we do know to pass along in terms of breaking news or whatever, that it is going to be – a fundraiser first. That's the number one criteria that I, in terms of their initial selection, their initial whatever they're doing in terms of gathering names, gathering candidates, that is what they're looking for. So it's going to be an interesting next couple of months here in UTEP and El Paso to see who is going to be that next guy for to replace Bob Stoll, who, like we mentioned, got to give the guy some respect. It hasn't been rosy the past couple of years, but Bob Stoll did a lot of good for this program and deserves a lot of respect. For, from UTEP fans or from really the city of El Paso in general. So moving on, uh, wanted to touch a little bit of basketball. I don't have too much on the basketball side, but there was an interesting story that broke um, by a player himself, and that's Kaheem Brown. Uh, Kaheem Brown, if you guys don't remember, a little quick uh, uh, rehash or reset on, on Kaheem Brown. Kaheem Brown was a 6'5 guard from Brooklyn that originally committed to UTEP and actually showed up on campus as a Prop 48 commit, a guy I was really, really high on the last time we talked to you on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, a guy I thought was definitely Division One ready, had some grade issues. I know he was getting looked at, but he was Seton Hall, Minnesota, off the top of my head uh, that I could remember. Well, the Kaheem Brown story is one that's definitely interesting and definitely uh, just interesting in, in the way to look at it. Now, if you saw Kaheem's Twitter profile, uh, he laid out basically kind of a timeline of what happened and why he left the UTEP program, left the UTEP campus. Um, I wanted to do a story on this when this originally came out. Um, I basically just wanted to kind of, you know, pass along that Kaheem left and, and, and share his tweets. But the editor in me, you know, the, the, the way that we kind of run things, as y'all know, I, I wanted to get both sides of the story. Kaheem Brown was a commit, a Prop 48 commit at that, a guy that, you know, can't practice with the team, has access to the practice facilities, is basically paying his own way. Everybody that's listening to this and as a basketball fan knows about this Prop 48 rule. Um, but to get both sides' story of a commit from a head coach like Tim Floyd, you're not, I'm not going to get that. I, I can reach out to them as much as I want to try to get both sides of the story. Tim Floyd isn't going to comment. Now, basically what, what Kaheem Brown said in a nutshell was that he did nothing wrong. If you guys remember, uh, I can't, I'm going to probably murder this kid named uh, Devontre. Devin Devontre uh, was a four-star guy that visited UTEP a couple weeks ago. It was between Gonzaga, it was between Oregon, and between UTEP for his services. So according to Kaheem Brown, there was a recruit that was going to commit to UTEP to receive his scholarship next year, which if you followed up on the Devontree kid, there was questions of whether he would be eligible this year. UTEP obviously has done a great job of using the Pop 48. UTEP would clearly have a spot for him just to get him on campus this year. So according to Brown, that was kind of the situation of why he was quote-unquote pushed out according to Brown, which kind of leads me to this thing about college basketball recruiting. And it's grimy, folks. I mean, recruiting in general is grimy. You know, I, I was recruited back in 05, 06, and, you know, I was recruited by some small-time baseball schools, nothing major, you know, at, at baseball scholarships are totally different. It's a totally different world than it is basketball, baseball scholarships. They only give you a certain percent, da, 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 I could go on. But 
with Kaheem Brown's situation, I mean, you talk about verbal commits as being non-binding, and I get all that. And, and I get that the kid, you know, was promised this. He, was, he gives a whole timeline of when he was recruited and, and how this contact has been going back and forth between him and uh, the assistant coach, Chris Bauman, and this has been going on for a while. But, you know, it, it, college basketball is so fluid. I mean, it, it's, you, one, here, one day you're here, one here you're not. And, and that's unfortunate. Now, the problem I have with, with, with how this was handled is, you know, Kaheem Brown, the kid from Brooklyn, he mentions that he has a kid coming on the way either in October or January. I, what really bugged me was that the kid wasn't able to get home from here. Obviously, you know, no, no kid is going to want to come out from Brooklyn to come to school in El Paso, Texas, if you're not playing college basketball. I mean, let's just, let's just be real for a second. I'm a big El Paso fan. I'm a big El Paso homer. But nobody from Brooklyn is going to want to come out here and finish out a semester. And the kid couldn't even get a plane ride home, uh, type of help, anything from the coaching staff. That would, that's what really bugged me. Now, you know, it's tough to see a kid like Kaheem Brown go because, again, I was really, really high on him. I really liked his upside. I liked that physical nature. I liked that city guard toughness that he brought. You know, but obviously UTREP is higher on this Devontry kid, a four-star guy, you know, a late 2017 guy that I'm surprised didn't sign. Obviously, there's great issues there. Whether that's true or not, you know, that's obviously a red flag if a kid isn't on campus now. That school is, what, two or three weeks old in some places. So it's just a very, very interesting story. And you can check out Kaheem's uh, Twitter feed for yourself. It's at the real Kaheem B on Twitter, and he basically breaks it down uh, of everything. I mean, I could sit here and read this to y'all, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you know, it's, just, it's crazy to see how cutthroat college basketball recruiting is, how cutthroat college basketball is as a whole. And, I mean, really, it, it's about favoritism, whatever you want to call it, whether it's your stars, whether it's who you know, whether it's your connection, whether you're bringing something to the table now. I mean, it, it is unfortunate for the kid. I do feel for the kid from a person standpoint. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure this has happened in other Conference USA schools that we don't hear about, um, you know, because Conference USA is, I believe, could be one of the few that actually are able to use this Top 48 deal. And I think you can only have two at one point, which is really the kind of the whole gist of this whole story. I'm pretty sure Tim Floyd will love to have a Kaheem Brown. But, you know, picking a, a four-star guy over him, is, it's what seems like it's happening. And like I said, just wanted to touch on it to give my thoughts. I mean, it, it happens. It's college basketball. Like I mentioned, my thing is, is the kid not getting any help getting home. It's the kid that's stuck out here in El Paso, was stuck out here in El Paso, Texas. You know, the kid living in Brooklyn, it's not like he's from Houston. It's not like he's from the Midwest or something where, you know, it's a little bit more suitable. I mean, that's a connecting flight to a connecting flight, connecting flight. I've never even been out past the East Coast. So just something I, I told you all that I would touch on on the next podcast whenever I got a minute. And so Kaheem Brown at, at the moment and Obviously, he's pretty bitter, and, and he should be. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, who, which kid wouldn't be? I would be pretty heated if, if that happened to me as well. So tough to tough to see him go, but hope that Kaheem Brown can land on his feet and, and really kind of get himself together in terms of his basketball career and being able to take care of that child that he's bringing into this world. Uh, definitely kind of a touchy subject. And like I said, just out of respect for both sides, I, I wanted to get Tim Floyd's side of the story before I went and published something. So I felt like I did something right instead of just kind of blasting, you know, the program. Could have been something else. There's always two sides to the story. We may never get Tim Floyd's side of the story. But if I do, I'll definitely holler at y'all and let y'all know. So let's hit the Twitter verse real quick to get some questions out out the way before we jump into this football talk. Because most of the questions that I did get were football questions. Got a few here. Um, Lutet Miner basically asked a three-part question. So let's get to his third part of his question. This is football-related. 
talking about Walter Don, Lutep asked, Don looked good. Is this what we should? And uh, let me chug this water real quick because I'm getting cotton mouth over here. And you are listening to the solo edition of the Rush Podcast. If y'all listening, I know I didn't really promo this. It's probably, I'm looking here, we don't have that many live listeners, but if y'all want to jump in, 347-934-0951. I'll definitely take your call, take your take, whatever you've got for me. But looking at Walter Don, and this was a guy that I pegged as, I did a couple of previews, whether it was with Underdog Dynasty or whatever it might be, that I really thought Walter Don was going to be a breakout player, um, not only for UTEP, but in Conference USA in general. And Don, you know, he... You take, like Anthony mentioned, Don looked good outside those two runs, and there was a couple of freshman mistakes that he made, particularly it was that third and two. You know, there was definitely a gap there. He tried to bounce it outside. We get calls for a holding for, for a freshman, off the freshman fullback. And, you know, that right there is kind of showing you that, yes, Walter Don has that explosive ability. He has that home run hitting ability. He has that versatile ability. But at the end of the day, he's still young. And I think Don can eventually be that guy. You know, whether it's going to happen this week, whether it's going to take two or three weeks to happen, I think he can. Only seven carries, so we got a very, very small sample size of what he can do. But you're looking at that offensive line on that first drive, and that was pretty, pretty encouraging to see UTEP just really just shocked Oklahoma with their up-front blocking. And there was a couple times, I think that run, the touchdown run, was run behind Will. I know that 29-yard run for sure was run off off uh, off the left side of Will um, through the C-gap, I believe football coach will probably crucify me if I'm wrong on that. But anyways, I really do think Don should be a guy that we can expect to have that type of home run ability. Is it going to be equivalent to Aaron Jones? Hell no. Can it be as close to it? I think he has that ability, like I said. But will it happen this week against Rice? Will it happen next week against Arizona? That's kind of the key for some of these young guys that UTEP's implementing offensively, particularly in the backfield. Can a guy like Don get going? Can he find, you know, find that chemistry with the offensive line? Something that Aaron Jones did very, very well at, where Aaron Jones knew where to stick his nose in a, in a gap, where Jones was comfortable with being able to get into a gap to, to, to feel that there could be that one cut and go after. So that's something I think Walter Don's going to work on, and I think he's got that ability. So appreciate you with the question, Lutep. Really think that Walter Don can make that step. But the question is when with this kid. I mean, he, he looked, going back a little bit too, I mean, he was a receiver last year. Hasn't played running back since his senior year at Poti and up in the Mesquite area. So that's going to be interesting to see how he can continue to transition. And 56 yards last week, 12, you know, what, 30 of those coming on that opening drive. Would definitely would love to see a little bit more of Walter Don in that game. I would love to see him get 11, 12 carries, hell, even in the third quarter, fourth quarter, just continue to work him. But we'll definitely see Walter get a bigger load this week against Rice. So Kelly on Twitter, at twitcac or KAC, not CAC, I can't read. She says, I didn't get he or she, I didn't get to see the OU game. What are your three most positive and negative position groups based on showing? Let's start with the negatives. And I think number one, UTEP's linebackers were really, really exposed, particularly uh, Julian Jackson on the outside. I thought Oklahoma did a tremendous job of really, really putting Julian Jackson in situations where he had to cover, um, and that's where you saw that tight end just really shred him up. I mean, the first three or four catches, you know, Julian Jackson really did look lost, and Julian Jackson was brought in here uh, to pass rush. So, really, I think that's a great job of Oklahoma, you know, kind of identifying that, identifying a new player and a new system and really, really going at him. And I thought, you know, he really got exposed in that sense. 
the second the second uh, negative area that I want that I want to say is, is the pass catchers. I mean, they really left Ryan Metz out to dry in a lot of areas. Um, trying to look at, I don't have drops on this uh, stat sheet that I'm looking at, but Ryan Metz really kind of spread out the love. Nobody got more than four targets in David Lucero, and I think Lucero dropped that big third down ball. Had three drops, I believe, total in the game from all the receivers, and that was kind of discouraging because this this watching this receiver group, they looked improved. They look explosive. They look like this was group with with an experienced quarterback. So that was really disappointing to me on the on the offensive side. Is seeing those drops, seeing them just really struggle. I mean, there's there, there's having a hard time getting open against a more bigger, more athletic, quicker Oklahoma team, and then they're just struggling to find any type of crease, any type of opening. And it really seemed like the only guy that was able to do that kind of at a consistent basis was Eddie Sinegal and David Lucero. So that is my number two. Uh, in terms of, of disappointing. And the number three, I think safety play, um, you know, obviously this is safety play against the run because I thought against the run, you saw Devin Pockrell make a couple of good plays. You saw Connie Smith make a couple of good plays in the second level. But, you know, just tackling was very poor from the safeties. And that's something that we're really not used to. So I, I, as much as you can, I can hammer that and, and, and talk shit or whatever it may be, I think that was either an anomaly of how good Oklahoma was and maybe our guys just weren't prepared because – if you go back to the past couple of years, UTEP secondary has been pretty sure-handed in terms of tackling. This was a problem back in 2013-2014 and Scott Stoker's defense where tackling was an issue. But over the past couple of years, it really hasn't. UTEP has been, I would say, in my opinion, an average tackling team. Not the greatest tackling team, not a consistent tackling team, but a very average tackling team. And that was really, really discouraging to see that from UTEP safety to have been sure-handed in that department. Now, moving on to the positives, I think offensive line was very positive, particularly on that first drive. They kept the pocket clean for the most part. You didn't see Mets really get flustered. What really hurt Mets was his guys and his receivers' inability to kind of get not get open, and that was really, really dis- uh, discouraging like we talked about. But I really like the way the offensive line played. I like the blocking tight ends. You're throwing in a guy like Augie Torres is going to play more at the tight end. Obviously, starting Napier. I, I like that mix with the depth that they have. Logan Tooley, uh, Tillman looked really good as well. Looked like he belonged. And, and that was positive as well. I'm going to go with the second most positive group, and that was the corners. You didn't really see UTEP's corners get burnt that much, and that was a positive thing. It was a tight end that was really, really, you know, shredding the UTEP defense. And I didn't watch most of the second half, honestly. I'm going to be honest with you. I was grilling. I was chilling. My boy just came in from out of town. So we were parlaying in the second half. I really didn't watch it the way that I wanted to. But I really felt like early on in the game, Kalon did a great job. I saw Nick Needham kind of get in there. I think Nick got burnt on one play. It may have been that touchdown where kind of everybody just lost contain and the guy was running wide open in the hill line in the back of the end zone. So, you know, as positive as you can get with the corners. And then, honestly, the, the third, I didn't see a third impressive group. You know, Miss Kelly, I really didn't. I didn't see a, a, a group that really made me feel good about, you know, going into next week or feel good about answering your question fully. So I'm going to leave it at that. There's a lot of room to improvement. I, I don't really take too much other than what I just spat at you guys. Uh, for the past couple of minutes, that's really the main things that I took away from this game. Looking forward to the Rice game, that is really where I want, really want to break that down and get into that once I'm able to see what this team is going to look like with a quote-unquote equal uh, opponent, if you will. Uh, so moving on to the next Twitter question that I got here, hashtag we are minors at F5 UTEP minors, part of the Forgotten Five group was Gapana sending me a Twitter question. You don't, you don't, he don't cut no – he ain't cut no corners with this one. UTEP D looked bad. I agree. 
credit to OU superior athletes or preparations, or was it all hype and the D may struggle going forward? That's a damn good question, and that's kind of the biggest question I think that you can take away from this game is, yeah, Utah's D, I mean, was bad. I mean, there's no putting it any other way. I mean, you give up 329 passing yards and bake the ball, only hits the ground once in the first half. You got some issues going on there. There was no pass rush. You know, the only time there was a pass rush was on a 4th and 10 play. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma was kind of a shot play for them, just trying to get something going, and Dante Lavalette made a play for UTEP. Not you know, not taking anything away from that play. But, you know, that's just something that, you know, it just can't happen. You just, you just can't happen. It doesn't matter if it's number seven Oklahoma. It doesn't matter if it's number one Alabama. You've you got to be able to show some type of resistance. And the UTEP defense wasn't. And it does lead to some concerns. But let me, do, let me say one thing, though, that, that I did notice that UTEP was doing, whether it was a good thing for a game one, whether it was a bad thing for a game one. UTEP played a lot of bodies that hadn't played. And there was a lot of inexperience. There was a lot of confusion, particularly in that linebacker spot, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of, of, of you know, Mark Andrews just shredding UTEP in that first half. You know, I really want to see how pared down this defensive rotation is going to be in terms of the front seven, because UTEP has a lot of bodies that they're running out there it, between the linebackers and between that front three. Once that's kind of pared down, I think we could probably see some improvement, if you will, in terms of consistent pass rush, keeping plays in front of them, maybe even tackling. But, you know, just going off of that Oklahoma game, it's hard to really say that this team can make a drastic improvement from week to week after what we saw in Norman last Saturday. And that's that's going to be tough for UTEP to really, really kind of come overcome that. And that is going to be the big question is, how much pared down is this UTEP defense going to be? Because so many bodies play. There was lots of confusion at certain times. Maybe not so much pre-snap, but if you're looking at particularly that big play that, that I mentioned earlier where dude runs basically right behind the UTEP defense in the goal line situation, he's wide open for a score. To me, that's inexperienced. To me, that's guys that were out there that hadn't played, that didn't identify what was going on. And that, to me, is really, really concerning, more than giving up 300 yards passing in the first half. More. All right, I got cut off there. At the, luckily, I was at the end of my take, uh, got cut off there from my phone, doing this from the house, not the regular Rush podcast that you're listening to. But anyway, let's move on to this Rice preview. Huge game for the Miners. Uh, one of the earliest Conference USA games that's been under Sean Cougar. I'm looking back probably on the quickest conference game that's came up on the schedule in a while for UTEP. And Rice, obviously dealing with, what was Hurricane Harvey a couple of weeks ago? A crazy story. You know, they opened their season out in Australia, get rolled by Stanford, having to fly into LA, not sure where they're going to go to set up, you know, camp, I guess you can say, or set up operations for the week, end up in Fort Worth. Uh, had, a, had a bye week last week that was set up for them to recover from that long trip to Australia. And now, you know, you're barely getting into Houston this week to, to find, I think David Bayless said 26 players had some sort of damage or, or, or were displaced because of the storm. And now you got to go out and play a football game this weekend against UTEP. And that, that's a lot for, to ask from these kids. But, you know, kind of like Sean Cougar said on Monday, they can turn this into, you know, a pity party or they can turn this around and really go out there and play for the city of Houston. And that's something that, you know, you don't need motivation, especially, you know, they recruit Houston heavy, as you all know. And, you know, that, that's going to be something to keep an eye on in terms of where this team is going to be at. Um, mentally, I mean, this was the, looking here at the game notes. I mean, the two weeks period, this team traveled 26,000 miles to play their first game, and they barely got home this past week. I believe it was 
September 1st when Rice was finally able to get back in Houston, and they spent all weekend basically cleaning up and assessing what happened. So it hasn't been about football for the Houston, uh, for, excuse me, for the Rice Owls. A total of 12 players have been moved, have been moved into new housing options after their residents were heavily damaged by the flooding. Uh, Cars of 26 players and staff were damaged. That's where I pulled out that 26 number were damaged that, you know, that were left at the stadium. I mean, this is crazy to, to, to kind of go through. I mean, you, there's no blueprint on this. You know, there's no, in the coaching manual, this, there's no way to tell you how you're supposed to handle this. So kudos to David Bailey for getting his team prepared to play as much as he can this weekend. And, you know, this is an opportunity for both teams. I mean, we, we, talk, we know all what happened with UTEP. We know what happened with, with Stanford and Rice a couple of weeks ago. I mean, these are two teams that can really – come in here and try to write their ship, equal opponents. You know, the expectations for both teams coming into the season were very, very low. Numerous publications had both of these teams as, you know, having their coaches on the hot on the hot seat, and particularly David Bailiff more than Sean Kugler, as we all know, you know, the situation here with Kugler and, and whatnot. That could obviously change like we talked about. But, you know, looking at this Rice team, I mean, they just got shellacked. I mean, this was a team that really just got shellacked a couple of weeks ago. Watching that game, first play, homeboy breaks up a 50-yard run. Rice just could never recover. You know, this is a, Rice did, you know, for their good, they ran for 146 yards. Samuel Stewart ran for 71. They got brought in a brand-new quarterback, Sam Glasman, a freshman, really, really struggled. He was 7 of 18, 69 yards in the interception. Got to see Jackson Tyner, who's kind of played a little bit over the past couple of years, kind of played in a, in a mop-up role. But, I mean, this Rice team, there's just so many questions, uh, and it starts with their mentality. I mean, what are they going to come in here? Are they going to be a team that's going to be fired up? Are they still wounded? What is, what's the mentality of this Rice team going to be coming in here with, you know, so much off-field, you know, I call it drama from the storm that, that's really hit them. So that's going to be interesting to see how this Rice team can kind of bounce back. And for UTEP, you know, the, the pieces are in place for this UTEP team to really come out and make a statement this weekend. We saw what the offensive line could possibly do. I'm a big believer that 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 first drive offensive line, that first drive offense can be indicative of what UTEP could. I'm going to use Lucy, use that could work very loosely there. This could be what we can see from the UTEP offense, an offense that can create holes for the running back. you got a guy like Walter Don that is shifty, that can break, you know, break, be a game breaker. you got Kevin Dove, obviously, with the power. We saw a little bit of Josh Fields. He kind of struggled a little bit in certain areas. Obviously, that was third quarter garbage time for him. But, you know, I really think that this UTEP offense can be something against equal or lesser parts in, in Conference USA. And this Rice game is a perfect opportunity for this UTEP offensive line, this UTEP offensive unit to do it. And I can see this UTEP offense really kind of breaking out in a sense. And that is kind of my prediction for this game. Now, defensively, that's a bigger question because, like I mentioned earlier, talking about the defense, I don't know what this defensive rotation is going to look like. I want to see UTEP really, really pare that down. I want to see UTEP really, really get into their playmakers. And it's great to have depth. It really is. And it's something that the UTEP defense hasn't had this type of depth in terms of bodies. Maybe not so much surefire productive guys or, or, or frontline guys that will start, but there's bodies there. And, and this is what this early season tests are going to do for UTEP is find those guys, identify those 19 to 20 guys that are going to rotate in your package. I mean, shit, to me, it looked like UTEP played 28 or 30 guys total on defense. And, and that's even while the game was semi close, if you want to call that, in the first half. So, really, the big question for me is defense. I feel the UTEP offense is going to come out and have a big day against Rice. But this UTEP defense, particularly without Alvin Jones in the first half, 
who's going to be that table setter? Who's going to be that, you know, that person that's going to step up and make the play? Will it be the corners? Will it be a guy like Devin Cocker who had a pretty good game against Oklahoma? I mean, that is kind of the key for me all season long is who's going to set the tone with this UTEP defense. Because, like, like, you know, like I was reading the tweet earlier, this could be a problem. This UTEP defense could be a problem if they cannot figure out, you know, who's going to play where. Who's going to be that rotation guy? Who's going to be a playmaker in that front seven? Secondary is pretty much set. You don't see too much movement in secondary. But in that front seven, UTEP is tinkering and they're toying. And they're trying to find playmakers. And, and, and you have to do that early on in the season. But when your conference game, you know, your first conference game is week two, and it really is a must-win situation, in my opinion, for UTEP to really just come out and, and take this game, win no matter what. Obviously, we'll love to see a comfortable win against a, a Rice team that's really in a lot of different ways. But really, defensively, that is going to be the question. Who's going to step up? Who's going to make consistent plays? And can the UTEP defense, you know, find some consistency to build on going into the next week in terms of sacks, in terms of interceptions, in terms of big plays, flipping field positions? Hell, shit, let's score. Let, let the defense eat and go out there and somebody make the play where we're returning a fumble, we're returning a pace kick. That is really going to be a key in this game. And another key is we'll transition to keys to this game, offensive line play, like I mentioned. I think that is the reason why I feel UTEP can come out there and really have a big game. I, I watched Rice's defensive line just get pummeled, you know, by Stanford's offensive line and Stanford uses some offensive line looks like UTEP does. Obviously, you know, UTEP doesn't have the horses Stanford does, but I really think that, you know, preparing for this game, UTEP's going to find some holes in their power run game. You know, they're dead, right. I saw a handful of times. I watched really the first half of that Rice Stanford game where, you know, they went jumbo, you know, they're going into those heavy unbalanced sets where you're seeing seven or eight linemen. UTEP has that, cap- that capability. And you put a guy like Walter Don back there, you put a, a tough guy to bring down like Kevin Dove, you can open up some things offensively with the run game. And I think that's going to be a big key is UTEP's offensive line really getting off to a, off to a solid start. And that could be the same set for Rice's offensive line. If Rice's offensive line is able to set the tempo, if they're able to create four or five yards per rush, we know Rice is going to run the football with their two running backs that they have in there. That's going to be the key for UTEP's defensive line to be able to step up. And also UTEP's linebackers, you know, how are they going to react? You have Jamar Smith to start his first game this weekend at middle linebacker there. So Sam Stewart, Emmanuel Escupa, those are the two running backs you're going to see. 5'9", 200-pounders. Escupa's a little bit taller, 5'9", 11 but 230. I mean, those guys are going to be tough to bring down particularly in that second level where Bryce's offensive line is able to create that kind of space that I think that they that they should be able to create if UTEP's defensive line does not come out to play. And that is going to be a key. Which team's offensive line can kind of set that tone for, to be able to control the ball, to be able to control that line of scrimmage, and ultimately what's Rice's MO, what's UTEP's MO, control that time of possession. I think that's something that you'll see both teams try to establish early Another key for UTEP, and I kind of touched on it earlier, but you got to create some type of momentum with turnovers. It, like I mentioned, this is something that we haven't seen out of a UTEP defense. We haven't seen a UTEP defense uh, constantly create turnovers, constantly create havoc. That's something that if this UTEP defense is going to take a turn for the better, it's got to happen this weekend against a really Rice team. And, and will that happen? Who knows? Like I mentioned, there's just so many unknowns in this UTEP defense, but those are just some things that really, really got to happen if this UTEP team really wants to write this ship here on early on the season. It's early. It's game two, but I just cannot stress of how important this game is, not only for the rest of the season, but for the now to get these kids some confidence. I mean, you get bushwhacked by Oklahoma last week, your confidence ain't going to be high. But when you're playing against an equal team like Rice, if UTEP can jump on this team early, can really put it on them and, and kind of just gain some momentum within the locker room, within their sideline, 
that's going to pay dividends to the UTEP team going forward. And you know what? I mean, it's, it's real interesting to see how this game is going to be handled in terms of offensive game planning because the Miners need to be aggressive, particularly without Alvin Jones. You don't know what that defense is going to, going to be, or what, what's it going to look like, what, they're, what are they going to be able to create so that UTEP offense has a lot of pressure on them this weekend. I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to say UTEP wins this one pretty handily. Uh, you know, I, I think Rice has a lot going on. I think looking at them uh, preparing shit to shit when you're looking at that Oklahoma game and you're looking at the Stanford game, I mean, Rice looked disheveled. They looked lost in a lot of areas. I mean, UTEP had kind of the same deals in a sense, but it, Rice was bad. I mean, Rice, that was bad. UTEP's was bad. And like I say, we're comparing shit to shit. But, I mean, UTEP, I, I, I've seen them practice. I've seen them in terms of their togetherness, in terms of, of what their identities could be. I think UTEP kind of has a better finger on that, and that's why I think UTEP can win this one. I'm going to put it 34-21. I still think that UTEP defense has a lot of kinks to work out, but I feel Rice is really turnover prone right now just because they're kind of unsettled in terms of, of, of an established starter at quarterback with Glaceman in there. And I think that could play in the UTEP's favor with the experience UTEP has in the secondary that could come to play. So as of right now, I think UTEP should be able to put up 30 points pretty easily on rice, just because like I mentioned, that offensive line looked really good in that first drive. And I believe UTEP can duplicate that at least a few times. It's not going to be a perfect game by no means. We know this UTEP offense is far from perfect right now. But I think that could be a positive for you to have to build on. LetMetsBall.com, that's the website I'm going to start making. Let Mets go out there and throw the football. You know, his receivers got to get him some help. But I really feel that this UTEP team can put it to Rice. I'm going to say 34-21 right now. And, and that's not being a homer. I just think Rice has a lot going on. And I think UTEP is just – if you could come out of a better spot from getting your ass whooped between both teams, I think UTEP might just be in that slightly higher, better spot coming into week two of Conference USA play, which will open Conference USA play. So I'm done yapping with y'all for an hour. Just wanted to make sure that we get y'all get y'all a podcast this week. Y'all know where to find us, www.minorrush.com. We are on Twitter, at SBN Minor Rush. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Minor Rush. You can find this podcast on iTunes. You can also find me on Twitter, at NicholasAlex915 on the Twitter sphere. So shout out to Anthony Salone for joining me earlier. Noah's been busy with him trying to get ready for the baby coming. So you might hear more solo podcasts with myself and maybe other guests that we can bring in here as the season goes along. So next Saturday coming up 6 p.m. in the Sumble. Hope to see y'all there. But until then, I'm out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.